Church, it's a privilege to be with you all this morning and to, to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we are going to continue with our series on preaching the kingdom. Today is part two of this series. And if you can recall from last week, we began by setting some foundation for the very well-known but somewhat misunderstood and sometimes misrepresented Sermon on the Mount. And the reason that I've titled this series Preaching the Kingdom is because this sermon speaks so strongly to how the disciples of Jesus Christ are commanded by Jesus himself to live as kingdom representatives, creating kingdom culture while they are still living in this world. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in gathering a bunch of superficial followers. He wanted to gather a group of people that understood what he was all about firstly, but secondly, he wanted a group of people who would be committed to him and the kingdom that he was establishing. So last week, we looked at how in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was being pursued by the multitudes but in chapter 5, how he retreated from the multitudes up onto a mountain and began speaking to his disciples. And we identified that he had probably had a few hundred of his followers and learners listening to him as he explained what it really meant to be a kingdom representative that would shift culture and manifest the kingdom on heaven, of heaven uh, in different ways on the earth. And he challenged his followers back then, and he is challenging his followers today about what it looks like to live as followers of Jesus Christ, motivated by the heart rather than by the law. Remember, we spoke about there being two types of righteousness. One is obeying the letter of the law, which produces a self-righteousness. But the kind of righteousness that Jesus wants us to pursue, church, is the kind that can only be given to us as a gift because of our faith in what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus was concerned and is still concerned about a heart obedience rather than a legalistic obedience. And church, it is from this heart obedience that Jesus would have us receive the Beatitudes and live them out in our Christian lives. Last week, we covered the first four Beatitudes, which are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I think after last week, we all have a better understanding of what it means to have character traits that come with a blessing and a promise. And I think and I hope that we've all done some introspection and identified that there's work to be done when it comes to our character and how we represent Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. You see, we cannot study this incredible sermon and walk away unaffected or unchanged. As I mentioned last time, the Beatitudes are progressive in intensity. So what we're going to cover today, church, is really going to challenge our thinking. And I would say, church, even inspire us to be more like Jesus. So let's get right into it. Beatitude number five, in verse seven it says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Number five, Jesus tells us to be merciful. Why? Because we have received mercy. You know, church, justice is getting what you deserve. 
Mercy is the opposite. It's not getting what you deserve. You see, all of us deserve help because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on a cross for our sins. And what He did for us, church, allows us to receive the mercy of God so that we don't ultimately get what we deserve. God is merciful to us. Amen? But guess what, church? As recipients of His mercy, He wants us to be conduits of His mercy. He wants us to be merciful to other people in the same way that we have received His mercy. You see, when we are unmerciful to people, it is both hypocritical and judgmental. It's hypocritical because we are receiving something that we don't want to give. If we don't practice what we preach, that means we're hypocritical. Right? It's also judgmental because if we don't give people mercy, even though we have received mercy, we're basically saying that they don't deserve what we deserved. Right? That's judgmental. The Greek word for mercy is the word eleemon, and it means to show leniency, compassion, or forgiveness. And listen to this, especially towards someone who has offended them. Jesus says, blessed are, oh, how happy are those who show compassion or forgiveness, especially towards someone who has offended them. And you see, church, if we behave like this, by showing mercy when someone doesn't even deserve it, we are imitating Christ. And one of the greatest breakthroughs you have in your spiritual life is when you show mercy in a situation where you could have judged someone. One of the greatest spiritual breakthroughs you'll ever have is when the Holy Spirit empowers you to destroy the record of wrongs that you have against someone. Someone hurt you terribly and disappointed you and maybe even set you back in life. But as you sit there and say, Lord, I'm going to rip up these records of wrong, let me tell you, that's an incredible spiritual breakthrough. And church, isn't that what Jesus Christ has done for us? It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And in Lamentations chapter 3, it says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, church, we are never more like God when we are acting in mercy. And so, God calls on us as His followers to be merciful and says, I want you to extend mercy to other people. And the promise attached to this is for they will be shown mercy. Church, this is pretty simple. The more merciful you are to other people, the more merciful God is going to be toward you. Character trait number six, beatitude number six, in verse eight it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The word pure in this verse is the Greek word katharos, and it means to be clean pure 
guiltless, innocent, and upright. At church, it's not an outward cleansing that Jesus is referring to here. He's speaking about the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, in the Western world, we see the heart as the seat of our emotions and our feelings, right? I just felt this in my heart or I've moved in my heart by something that I've just witnessed. And that's okay, but in the ancient world, church, the heart was connected not just to the emotions and to the feelings, but it was the seat of your mind, of your thought processes, and of your will. The very core of who you were was the heart. You see, in the ancient world, what the feelings were connected to were the bowels, right? So that's why sometimes we need to get rid of what's happening inside there. That's where the emotions come from. But the heart was the very core of who you were, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of its spring the issues of life. And church, what I'm getting at here is that the heart is the center of who you are as a person. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who did a Bible commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, said that purity of heart is this idea that at the very center of your being, and the source of every activity, you're pure. That's quite a good explanation, I think. Now, church, again, as I've been explaining, the Pharisees in Jesus' day paid strict adherence to the letter of the law and different forms of outward pureness. They were always concerned about the outward appearance of, of purity. Whereas the Bible says, God is always concerned about the inward appearance of purity, the condition of your heart. To give an example, the Pharisees would make sure that they followed every ritual and aspect of cleansing to make sure that they were outwardly clean. So there were ritual bars called mikvahs. There were ritual ways to wash your hands and you had to follow a very strict code how to properly wash your hands and the outside of your body. It was initially prescribed in the Mosaic law, so it wasn't inappropriate at the time, but it was intended to make people aware that they have a cleansing problem. And that is not just an outward thing, it is an inward thing. And so the cleansing aspect of the Mosaic law was intended to point people to the fact that they needed a greater cleansing, which they couldn't do by all the scrubbing and, and bathing that they could possibly perform. They needed a cleansing of the heart. And that's only possible with God. So all the ritual bars and all the ritual ways of washing yourself was all part of just leading up to the greater cleansing that we all need, church, which is the cleansing of the heart that only Jesus can provide for us. Jesus put it this way to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence blind pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also 
And so church, understanding it from this point of view, we can only receive a pure heart through faith in Jesus Christ. He cleanses us from the inside. Right? We come to faith in Him and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. You know what I've done. Cleanse my heart. And God supernaturally does that through the, the process of salvation. That's what He does for us. So it's a gift in what God does to cleanse our hearts. But church, it's a responsibility for you and I to continue to walk in purity. That part is on us because that honors God. And you may say, but pastor, you know, with the world we're living in now and all the distractions that we face on a, on a daily basis, how do we stay pure? How do we continue to walk in pureness of heart? Well, church, one way to do that is, be, is by becoming single-minded and remove the distractions that are making you double-minded. There is so much that keeps us from having a single focus on the law these days, so it's going to require a different kind of discipline, church, to remove all the enemy's distractions as you continue to walk in purity. This is really important. And you could even say it like this. Blessed are those who remove any distractions, any obstacles that's keeping them from having a single focus and being absolutely absorbed on one thing, and that's God. And it's becoming before the Lord with your heart and like a piece of paper, church, unfolding it all and being open before God and asking Him to reveal and to remove any obstacle, barrier, distraction, or sin and saying, God, I want to be singly focused upon you. There was another commentary that I read about being pure in heart, and it said, to be pure in heart is to remove any distraction and have undivided attention on God. And look, church, that doesn't mean that we're going to get it right all the time. But right, if that is our goal, to walk in pureness of heart, we will draw closer to the Lord. So God has done His part. God gives us a new heart. We become new creations. New desires begin to emerge, but we have to do our part as well by removing distractions and becoming single-minded and single-focused upon the Lord. It reminds me of what James says in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We want to be single-minded about the things of God. Amen? So church, we are to remove any distractions in our lives, and we are to repent of those distractions and say, Lord, take them far away from me. In fact, we need to be like David who says, in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I would declare that over us as a body this morning. Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. Now the promise here for those who are pure in heart church is for they will see God 
And let me share some exciting news with you this morning. There's one day that believers in Jesus Christ are going to stand before the King of Kings and see him face to face. John would write in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, he would say, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. How many of you are looking forward to seeing the Lord face to face one day? Amen. And I love what John says here. Even our hope in him and this truth purifies us. Why? Because our hope and our focus is single-minded. Beatitude number seven, Jesus asks us to be peacemakers. In verse nine, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. What does it say in church? Happy are those that make peace, makers of peace. The definition here of peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom. And church, it has this idea of wholeness and making something complete. So a peacemaker is someone who is involved in making something whole. The actual Greek word for used for peacemaker is the word, this is quite a difficult one, it's Erena Puyao. It's quite a difficult one. And it means to make peace or to reconcile. And something very important I want to say to you this morning, church. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's actively pursuing a situation or a person to make it right. This is very important for us as Christians to understand today because there are far too many Christians that are becoming so offended by the smallest thing. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is actively pursuing a situation or a person to make it right. And church, we understand this because that's what Christ has done for us. He made us right in the sight of God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 to 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Church, we can celebrate this morning that God made peace for us through Christ upon the cross. Amen? And church, let me ask this question on behalf of all of us. How are we to be peacemakers in this world? A good way to do this, a good place to start, church, is by being real. So often in life, we just glaze over things. We avoid reality because we want some sense of, of peace. We avoid conflict thinking that if we avoid conflict, that, that means there's peace now. No, 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 church, peace is making something whole. Avoiding conflict or glazing over the situation is not making something whole, church it is just leaving it in a state of inertia we've got to be real and for this illustration i want you to look with me in the book of ezekiel chapter 13 it's a time in the life of israel when ezekiel is saying to the people 
judgment is coming, get ready, judgment is coming. But there's these other prophets, the false prophets, and they say, no, no, guys, don't worry, there's peace. There's peace. No one's coming to get us. And this is what God says through the prophet. Verse 10 says, because indeed, because they have seduced my people saying peace when there is no peace. And one builds a wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be flooding rain and you, O great hailstones, shall fall and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely when the walls have fallen, will it not be said to you, where is the mortar with which you plastered it? And church, in essence, what God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel here is you're saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. It's like seeing a, a wall that's got a bunch of, of cracks in it and it's about to, to fall over and you just take some plaster and you plaster over it and you step back and say, man, that's a good looking wall. But everything has just been covered up. But when the rain comes and the hail comes, right, and the wind comes, that thing's going to come crashing down because you haven't dealt with what's really going on. You see, we need to be real with people. If there is sin in, in their lives, we can't just glaze over it. We can't just fill up the cracks with a bit of polyfiller and then, you know, paint a nice mural over it. No. Church, if there is sin in your life, you should love the fact that someone is pointing it out to you because they are concerned about your soul. They are concerned about your spiritual growth. And yes, of course, as Christians, we need to learn how to do this in love. This must be done in love. But we must be careful that as the church of the 21st century, we don't call out anything for the sake of superficial peace. If we really love someone and we want to see peace in their lives, we must call it out. Can you imagine if we had John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul visit us one Sunday and they started calling out your sin and your sin and, and my sin? How would we receive that? Or do you think they wouldn't say anything for the sake of peace? It reminds me of, of Pastor Carl where he would say, I love you, but hello. I love you, but hello. Because you see, it is like that. I love you. I want to see peace made. But hello, what you're doing is wrong. I'm not going to say peace, peace when there is no peace. Because church, a peacemaker never compromises the truth for the sake of making peace. And a peacemaker never aligns himself with sin in order to make peace. So we need to We also need to be ready. When we think about making something right, what's, what's our best example? Salvation. Salvation is putting yourself right before God. Where you say, Lord, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I want to be made right with you. That's salvation. Evangelism is helping others to be made right with God. It's reconciling others and making peace for them on behalf of Jesus as you introduce them to Him. This is what evangelism is all about. So be real and be ready for God to use you at any moment. I love what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4. He says in verse 3, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit 
binding yourselves together with peace. Church, make every effort. Be ready for it. Be ready for God to use you to reconcile and to bring peace into any situation. You're not supposed to go into a situation and pour fuel on the fire. No. You're going to come in operating in the Spirit and you're going to speak peace. The promise attached to this beatitude, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And what this is saying, church, is that we're going to have this identification of kingdom representatives. We're going to be called sons and daughters of God because when you bring peace into a situation, when you make something whole, that's what God does. God makes us whole. And so when you do that for your neighbor, when you do that for a friend or a family member or a work colleague church, God is saying, hey, you're going to be called children of God. You're going to be identified as a kid of the kingdom. You're going to be, have this label of that person is like nobody I've ever seen before, right? There's something different about that person. They will be called children of God. Paul would tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're called to do as kingdom representatives. Amen? And let me close with this. Let me make this statement. Church, we are made to be displayed. We are made to be displayed. We are created to be set on a hill that everyone around us would see and say, wow, that family, that person, that boss, that student, there's something special about that person. When they come into, into a situation, they don't pour fuel on it and make it worse. They breathe peace. When there's two people fighting, they don't make way by barging in with arrogance. They, they give way. There's something humble about that person. There's something meek about that person. There's something sweet and caring about that person. We were made to be displayed. And very importantly, church, we don't allow the culture to press into us. We press into the culture. And if we are intentional, church, to become kingdom representatives that operate with these beatitudes, let me tell you something. We are unstoppable. The church is unstoppable when we have a deep desire to represent Jesus in this way. To be poor in spirit, knowing that we are nothing without Him. To be meek. Not by thinking less of ourselves, but by thinking of ourselves less. To hunger and thirst for righteousness, waking up every day hungry and thirsty for more and more of our Savior. To extend mercy to other people and canceling all the records of wrong. To walk in pureness of heart, making sure that the inner vessel is clean by removing all distractions and having a single focus 
and being absolutely absorbed on one thing, which is the Almighty. And to be peacemakers, those who imitate God by making things whole. Jesus is saying to you and me today, like he did to his disciples back then, if you really want to have a relationship with me and be a disciple of mine and be a kingdom representative, and if you want to press into the culture instead of it pressing into you, this is what's going to be required of you. Amen. Can we receive that somewhat sobering word this morning, church? Can we thank God for His word this morning? Let's give Him all the glory.